At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. My name is Kirk McDonald, uh, and I have the great, great honor uh, of being one of the pastors that serves at Gospel Community Church. Uh, and this morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and an errant word. May he add his blessing to it uh, this morning. Well, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, Uh, James and John are getting this idea uh, of what they think is going to happen. James and John, the the apostles are, uh, these disciples are looking at Jesus and he is giving all the telltale signs that he is the Messiah. And if he is the Messiah, then he is going to be glorified. And if he's going to be glorified, then they want in on that. They believe that Jesus, the Messiah is going to be lifted high. He's going to be made much of. And so their deep desire is to be raised up with him, to be made much of just like him. And so, they go to Jesus and they ask him this very curious question. The question that James and John ask Jesus is, hey, if we ask you something, will you do it? Now, uh, anyone will tell you that if someone asks you, hey, can you do me a favor? The wise answer is to say, what's the favor, right? Before you agree to do it. So Jesus responds to James and John's question with a question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And their request is when you are lifted up high in glory, can one of us sit at your right hand and the other one sit at your left? Now, uh, the other disciples hear James and John's request, and it creates dissension uh, within the group. Their their, uh, sense of entitlement, their sense of pride that they would be the ones that would sit at at Jesus's right hand and and left hand really caused division within the group. See, that's what happens when there's pride. Pride creates uh, disunity and and disrupts uh, unity and, and organizations, and so that's exactly what what happened here. And so just listen to the way Jesus responds uh, to them in uh, Mark 10, 43 through 45. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That that term son of man is Jesus's favorite name for himself. Self uh, coming out of Daniel chapter seven, and what he says is that those who want to be want to be lifted high must make themselves low. Uh, th- this is that uh, that paradoxical teaching of Christ that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and and that, that the way to uh, being exalted in heaven, uh, the, the way to being made much of, is to live a quiet life of service to other people, to be other oriented. Uh, that is what Jesus was, was telling them. And so 
At this point, you might think, okay, James and John got it. The, the disciples get it. It totally makes sense to them. They, they write it down. Uh, and, and from that point on, they are just others focused, living a life of service uh, to other people. Well, that's not what happened at all. We know that they, just like us, uh, still found themselves deeply entitled, uh, feeling this sense of entitlement, feeling this sense of pride, feeling this sense of um, other people should be serving me. If, if anybody uh, deserves to be praised, it's, it's me. Uh, that was deep inside their hearts, and it's also deep inside of our hearts. We know it was deep inside of their hearts because uh, just a little while later, here's what happens. It's Passover. The, the disciples go into the upper room with Jesus to celebrate Passover, and they're there with dirty feet. Now, obviously, you understand in, in those days they were wearing open-toed sandals, walking up and down the roads where um, animals would also go, and uh, you, you get the idea. Their, their feet were dirty, and it was, uh, it was a part of their custom to, as they sit down together at the table, um, part of their custom was to, to wash their feet before they came to the table. But this was a job that was reserved only for the lowliest servant. As a matter of fact, it was a against Jewish custom to command a slave to wash feet. That this was the lowest servant in the house's job, that when the guests came in, they would be there with a basin of water and a towel, and they would wash uh, their guests' feet. And so there they are sitting around the table with unwashed feet. And the unthinkable, the unthinkable happens next. Jesus gets up. Just get this picture in your mind, church family. Jesus gets up and you can imagine them thinking to themselves, what, what's he doing? What's he doing? You see, none of them were going to be selfless. None of them were going to be others oriented. None of them were going to take the step and become the lowliest servant to wash other people's feet. And so Jesus gets up. He takes off his outer garment he then takes a towel and wraps it around himself and he begins to one by one by one by one wash the disciples' feet. The, the one who decided that uh, there, there would be uh, uh, ten toes, the, the one who decided that, 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 that he would create feet in the shape that they were, that one, that one who spoke all of creation into existence is there on his hands and knees washing the feet of the disciples, the, the prideful, self-centered, entitled disciples are having their feet washed by Jesus Christ, the maker of the universe. Just imagine that, church family. What he said to them, that the first will be last and the last shall be first. What he said to them about the Son of Man being the servant of all. He was showing them and displaying that in that act of humility where he is washing their feet. Here's what we know. Later on, the disciples get it. 
You see, when he told them uh, about the son of man being the servant, if they wanted to be lifted up, they, they would have to become low. They didn't get it. But after Jesus resurrection and ascension into heaven, they get it. They, they understand this life of humility, this others focus, others oriented, uh, dropping all self entitlement. They get it. And how do I know that they get it? Well, because they were first a group of disorganized, selfish men, but they launch a world religion that now 2.1 billion people are a part of and call themselves Christians. And if you're going to accomplish that, you have to build a sense of unity uh, among the group. And there was unity because there was first humility. See, y'all didn't didn't get that. Jot that down. Unity is the product of mutual humility. Okay, did you get that? You got it now? Unity is the product of mutual humility. When that group of disciples came together and started being others focused, others oriented, when those disciples got together and dropped their sense of entitlement, what happened is they were united together and then from that position of unity, launched Christianity out of Jerusalem, out into the Roman Empire and throughout the entire world, there was a sense of unity because they had had common or mutual humility. Now, okay, come, come back to me now. If, 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 you're, if you're kind of reaching out there, kind of figuring out what, what we're talking about, where I'm going with this, let me just tell you, here it is. In our text today, um, we are going to be in the book of Philippians. So go ahead and get out uh, a Bible and turn to the book of Philippians because I want you to see Paul's aim or Paul's goal is for this church in Philippi to be united. He wants them to have a sense of unity within the church, and he's going to help them be unified by them being humble. Okay, do you get that? He wants them to be unified. How do we know that the Apostle Paul wants them to be unified? We'll just look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse uh, 27, uh, the, the back end of the verse. He says that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That sounds like he wants them to be unified, striving side by side, one mind, one spirit, right? For the faith of the gospel, he wants them to be unified. Just look at uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 2. He says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. His heart, his hope is for them to be unified in the gospel. He he wants this, a deep sense of joy, uh, a deep sense of of fellowship to be in that church. And he's going to, in, in our text today, he's going to describe what Jesus is like his humility, he's going to show us the humility of Christ and set that forward for us um, for our example. Now, uh, here is the main idea of the text. If you like big ideas, um, I've taken uh, basically verses 5 through 11 and and I've kind of compacted them into uh, a little nutshell idea. So here it is. I want to to share it with you. Here's the idea, the big idea from verses 5 through 11 in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. It goes like this. True unity, which advances the gospel, is only possible when we drop our sense of entitlement and walk in humility, which is modeled after Christ leading to his and our glorification. 
Okay, so true unity, which advances the gospel, is only possible when we drop our sense of entitlement and walk in humility, which is modeled after Christ, leading to his and our glorification. So, so true unity, that, that sense of, man, this, this church feels like my family and, and we are accomplishing what God has set us out to accomplish. That, that sense of fellowship, that, that sense of camaraderie, a deep abiding uh, sense that we're, we're not united by our race. We're not united by our economic background. We are united in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and that is the banner that's over. So true True unity, which advances the gospel. What what do I mean advances the gospel? I mean uh, gospel application. As we grow in Christ, we continue to take the aspects of the gospel and apply them to our life. And gospel proclamation. That's how we advance the gospel. We advance the gospel by applying it to our own lives daily, again and again, over and over and over. And proclaiming the gospel to a lost and dying World, So true unity, which advances the gospel, is only possible when we drop our sense of entitlement and walk in humility. Let me let me ask you a a series of questions here and, and let's just see if I'm describing you at all. Does your heart often ask the question, what about me? Do you find yourself in a rage when the guy in front of you is driving 40 and a 55? Anybody? Hello. (laughs) Do do you wish that it was legal to mount a bazooka on your car so you can blow that dude off of the road? If that's you, you have serious entitlement issues. When When you see that the trash can is full, there are dishes in the sink, and your t shirt drawer is empty, do you think someone should really do something about this? Are you slow to repent and have a hard time seeking forgiveness? Do you compare yourself to others and become bitter when you don't measure up? Do you despise others when they succeed? Do you secretly delight when someone fails? Now, listen, if any of those describe you, you have entitlement and pride issues. Now, let me let me just tell you as your pastor, some of those describe me. I have entitlement and pride issues. I know you have entitlement and pride issues in your life. And so what we need this morning, what we need right now is this text. We need this text. I need this text right here. I need verses five through 11 in my life. And so let's, let's do this. Let's go ahead and begin to dive into our text and apply it to our lives because what we're going to see is that humility is modeled by Jesus. He models it for us. And then Jesus' humility leads to his glorification. He is the model for us. And so if we are humble like him, we will also be glorified like him, which is the greatest news in the world. So Um, Let's go ahead and get to our text. We're in Philippians chapter two. I'm actually going to read verse four before we dive into uh, the rest of our section of text, just to reorient ourselves with the line of thinking and where Paul is at and what he's um, asking from us. Look at verse four. It says, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What I love is that he is telling them this. 
right? He, he is reminding them that they need to be others oriented. He's saying, don't just take care of yourself. Don't just worry about you. What, what you need to do is be looking to the interests of others, be others focused, be others oriented, be thinking, have a, have a way of thinking, which says, what can I do to be a blessing to people? What can I do to help people? What, what, what could I give up that would, uh, might be painful on me, but would actually help someone else? He, he's saying, live with that type of thinking, that selfless, others-oriented, no sense of entitlement, j- just a heart that wants to give, love, and serve. This is uh, what he sets out in front of them because they needed to be reminded. They needed to be reminded of this. This this call here is an attitude of life that simply values the benefit of other people, especially over our own personal gain. Then he gets into verse five. Check, Check this out. Here's what he says. Have this mind among yourselves. Stop right there. Have this mind. Have this mind. What, what, is, what does that mean? Have this mind among yourselves. He's saying, let this be your worldview. Let this be the filter which you view or filter everything else through in your entire life. Live this way. Be like this. Let this be your worldview. Well, well, look back at it. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves. Okay, so let this be your worldview. Let what be our worldview? Or uh, what mind are you referring to? Well, the mindset which he just explained in verse four, right? So the mindset that he wants us to have among ourselves is that we let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. The mindset which he wants for us, the mind that we should have is an others focused, others oriented, no sense of self entitlement. That's, that's what he, that's what he wants us to have that type of mind. So he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, or uh, the, the, it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or you can look at the, uh, the alternate uh, translation, uh, which is down in the footnotes, which says, or which was also in Christ Jesus, meaning Jesus had this mindset. Jesus had this others focused, others oriented, no sense of self entitlement mindset. That's how Jesus lived his life. And so you should live your life in that exact same way. That, that's why it says in Christ Jesus or which was also in Christ Jesus. This is this text right here is the bright flashing light on the person and work of Jesus Christ saying model your life, model yourself after him. Now, what he's about to say next is absolutely mind blowing. Look at verse Six. So it says, have, have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse six, who, though he was in the form of God. Stop right there. Though he was in the form of God. If you ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, do you believe Jesus Christ is fully God? He would answer 110% yes. This monotheistic Jew just said that Jesus Christ is fully God, though he was in the form 
of God. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. He is teaching us that Jesus is God. If, if you could step into eternity past and you were able to set your eyes upon God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in their Trinitarian united dance, you would see Jesus shining with just as much majesty and glory and beauty as the Father and the Spirit because he is in the form of of God. The reason he, he says that he is in the form of God is because he shares the exact same attributes as God the Father and God the Spirit because we believe in the Trinitarian Godhead, the three in one. This is what he is referring to here when he says, that he was in the form of God. So Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is God. God cannot be created. He is the creator of all. And so what he is saying here is he was in the form of God. But look at this. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? Okay, well, let's, let's slow down and think about this phrase. He says, though he was in the form of God, okay, so though Jesus is fully God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. They were equal in being, but he set his equalness aside. He did not grasp it. The question is, what does Jesus do with his equality with God the Father? Well, he does not hold on to it for his advantage. Now, that last part there is very important. He does not hold on to his equality with God for his advantage. He lays it down. He took his authority and his equality with God the Father and laid it down for the benefit of the children of God. He was still fully God, but he does not avail himself to every aspect of his deity. Are you following me? Listen, here's what's important. Jesus did not have to experience hunger. Think about that. He, he, he could have come here in the form of man and yet not experience hunger. He did not have to do that. Uh, Jesus did not have to experience pain. Uh, Jesus did not have to experience temptation, but because he was God, he was fully God, yet he was also fully man. He enters fully into the human experience so that he can sympathize with us. That, that's what God does. He humbles himself so much so in that way. Th this is why in, in Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17, verse five, Jesus says this, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world existed. So Jesus is fully glorified with God, the father, with God, the spirit, and he takes on human flesh, a lowly form. And though he did not have to experience pain, though he did not have to experience hunger, though he did not have to experience temptation, though he did not have to experience thirst, he entered fully into the human experience so that he can sympathize with us and so that he can be our mediator. Don't you get that church family? Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to fully immerse himself into the human experience. Look at verse seven, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself. What, what does it what does it mean that he 
emptied himself. Well, again, it does not mean that he stopped being God, but the word emptied there in the, in verse seven is being defined by the rest of the verse. Okay. So, so it is a false teaching or false belief uh, to believe that uh, Jesus was in heaven. He was fully God and he came down to the earth and he was no longer a deity. He was no longer God. He was only a man. That's, that's not true. That's incorrect. He emptied himself not in the sense that he got rid of his divinity. He was no longer divine. No, he emptied himself by what this says. And again, the emptied part is defined by what comes next in the verse. Look at it. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's how he emptied himself, by taking the form of of a servant. This is, this is what it looks like for him to, uh, to empty himself. Now, let, let me give you, let me give you an analogy and, and listen, all analogies break down at some level. And this might not be the best analogy in the world. Uh, but I was trying to work this week and think, how can I, how can I help explain, uh, th this, this limitation that Christ puts on himself? Uh, and here was, uh, my best, uh, analogy. My best analogy goes something like this. Um, I, I'm a daddy. I have two, uh, beautiful little girls. And we like to um, play this game where uh, I will chase them and, and I will tackle them and I will tickle them. Right. That's that's the game that that we love to play here. Uh, I love my little girls. Now, when we're playing this game where I chase them and tackle them, um, though I have, uh, you know, full daddy force and speed and tackling power, I don't avail myself to that power when I'm chasing my little girls. I don't run as hard as I can. Uh, when I tackle them or grab them, um, I'm not using the fullness of my force to tackle them. That would be very painful for them. Uh, and so that's not how the game is played. Uh, while I have the power, I'm not availing myself to it. Uh, in the same way, this is what Jesus uh, is doing. He is humbling himself and setting aside his power. Just, just think about this. Think about this. The one who created water, air, food, and sleep. Okay. Jesus created all those things, water, food, air, and sleep humbles himself by making himself in need of all of those things to survive. That's what Jesus does. He humbles himself that low. Look at Look at the rest of seven. So it says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Listen to this, being born in the likeness of men, being born in the likeness of men. Here's what that means. Jesus didn't float around. Uh, Jesus didn't glow. Uh, Jesus didn't have a halo. If you were to see, you know, walk up on the 12 disciples and Jesus, you would be hard pressed to pick him out of the crowd. He, he looked like a man because he was fully man. This is why verse eight goes on to say, and being found in human form. So he was in the form of God and he was also in human form. Did you, did you see that having this mind among yourselves, the, verse six, who though he was in the form of God, he was in the form of God. Now look down again uh, at verse eight and being found in human form. There's our word again. So here's, here's what theologians call the hypostatic union. That's it's a big $12 word you can impress your friends with it. The hypostatic union. Here's what that means. It means that Jesus was one man, yet he had two natures. 
Jesus was one man, yet he had two natures. That is the divine nature because he was fully God and he was also fully human. He had a human nature. He has a divine nature and a human nature that is known as the hypostatic union, which is being referred to here in this text. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This text says he humbled himself. What's important to know about that is that nobody humbled Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. Now, I've been humbled before. Uh, I've, I've been humbled by uh, my car breaking down and I had no idea what to do with it. Uh, I've been humbled by my wife. I've been humbled by my children. Uh, I've been humbled by my uh, you know, lack of physical dexterity, um, so on and so forth. You understand my point there. I've been humbled before, but no one humbles Jesus. What makes this so amazing is that Jesus humbled himself. He, he stooped down to our level, again, to sympathize with us and so that he could be our mediator. He humbled himself by obedient to death, even death on a cross. You, you see, the, the focus here on his humility to death on a cross is not a focus on the pain aspect of crucifixion. Again, crucifixion uh, is incredibly, incredibly uh, painful. It, it was definitely uh, an excruciating uh, death. That, that word excruciating literally means from the cross. Uh, and so it was a very painful death. But that's not the focus of the text here. The focus of the text here is not of uh, its painfulness. The focus of the text here is the humiliation of dying on a cross, the humiliation of being stripped naked and beaten in front of a crowd uh, and then being exposed, totally exposed, nailed to a cross and dying in such a shameful way. You see, uh, the, the Romans used to say that civilized Romans don't even say the word crucifixion. Uh, they, they found it so humiliating and so vile that uh, it, it wasn't spoken about or talked about in polite society and polite company. That's how that's how humiliating uh, going uh, through something like this was. It was insanely and, and very much. Uh, humiliating, but Jesus gives himself over uh, to this type of death. You, you've got to you look, you, you have to just drink this in and understand the full weight of the type of death that it was. You see, Jesus could have, uh, when they come to arrest him in the garden, um, the, the, the Bible could have said, and the soldiers came to arrest him and, and Jesus drew his sword and in a mighty moment of fury rushed the guards. Though they stabbed him to death, he died with dignity and, and glory and honor. But that's not what the Bible says at all. Jesus dies a very shameful death in humility, no sense of self-entitlement, just giving his life for the service 
of others. So uh, what Paul has just done is just walked us through. He has taken us um, to uh, the, the, the picture of Christ where he is humbled down, 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 showing his humility and, and taking on and stepping out of heaven, his humility and taking on human form, his humility in his death, these three big steps down, right? Down, humbled, low, laid low, no sense of self-entitlement whatsoever. And what he is getting at is this is the type of mind that we should have a very low, humble uh, sense of the way that we think, the way our mind works is we don't believe we're entitled to anything. Uh, You know, whatever I have, God has given me. And so I'm quick to give it away. Um, I want to serve you. I want to be others focused. He is insisting uh, that we look to Christ so that we might be this way. Well, the question then becomes, does anyone else have a difficult time of doing this? Okay, drop all your sense of self-entitlement and be humble. Okay, how do we do that? Well, look to Christ. There, there he is. Look at his humility as he steps out of heaven and takes on human form. Look at his humility and his death and be like that. Okay, Paul, well, we, we really could uh, use some help here because if you're anything like me, I constantly, I have to wake up every day and, and try to push away myself, my, my sense of self-entitlement. And, and I struggle with it a lot. And so here's what I want to do quickly. I want to, I want to give three quick application points uh, really on some ways that will help us um, drop our sense of self-entitlement and walk in humility. Three quick application points before we move on to our next uh, section of text. First, let the truths of the gospel kill our sense of entitlement. Let the truths of the gospel kill our sense of entitlement. Listen, do you know what you're entitled to? Seriously? Uh, You are entitled to eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. That's what you're entitled to because you are a rebel in his kingdom. God has placed demands on you and you have not met those demands. Therefore, what you deserve or what you're owed is eternal separation from him. Yet what he gives you is life, spiritual life. What he gives you is joy. What he gives you is peace. What he gives you is kindness. What he gives you is forever with him. You have received a gift and you didn't earn it. You did nothing to get it. It's impossible to earn. And there's nothing that you're bringing to the table whatsoever. So stop acting like you're entitled to everything. We're not entitled to anything at all. That's the truth of the gospel coming to bear on our sense of entitlement, helping us to walk in humility towards other people. You see, I'm not better than any other Christian. Why would I think that? I mean, there, if you're a Christian out there, you are the son of, of the king. And, and I'm a Christian, so I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm the son of a king. Nor am I better than any non-Christians. The only reason that I'm a Christian is because Jesus chose me. That, that's the only way. And so what we do is, if we're going to walk in humility, we need to constantly meditate on the truths of the gospel. Let the gospel kill our sense of self in entitlement. Number two, pray a dangerous prayer and ask God to teach you humility. (laughs) It's a dangerous prayer. It's a really dangerous prayer. But if you're truly going to walk in humility, we must pray a dangerous prayer and ask God to help you walk in humility. It's a dangerous prayer because he will likely do it and it will probably be painful. But what we're talking about here is we're talking about a change of heart. 
Does that make sense, church family? If you're going to walk in humility, we need a change of heart. And Jesus has the power to change the hearts of people. So if you're going to walk in humility, meditate on the truths of the gospel. Let, let the, the truths of the gospel that you're actually not entitled to anything, uh, that you don't bring anything to the table, but Jesus paid it all. Let that, th those type of truths retrain your mind to, to think in a way that's others oriented. Then pray and ask God, God, I cannot, I can't, I don't know how to change my own heart, Lord. I, I need you, God, to, to come in and, and take my sense of, of pride and put it away and help me walk in humility. And thirdly, allow people who know you best to address your entitlement and pride issues. Allow the people who know you best to address your entitlement and your pride issues, meaning ask questions Hey, do you feel like I'm a humble person? That's a really challenging question to ask somebody who knows you best. Do you think I'm a humble person? Now, here's what you do next. You listen. When you ask that question, just listen. Don't defend yourself. Ask the question, do you believe I'm a humble person? Do, do you think that, uh, I mean, maybe even in the slightest way, I'm modeling my life after Christ and walking in humility. Would you, would you give me an honest answer? Listen to them and don't argue. Just listen. Don't defend yourself. Okay, so that's, that's three quick ways or three quick ideas uh, of ways that we can walk in humility, ways that we can drop ourselves, uh, our sense of self-entitlement. Now, what Paul did in verses Five through eight is take a step down, down, down into lowly, humble service and humility, showing us the picture of Christ where he, he lowers himself um, out of heaven to human form, where he lowers himself by, by, by dying a humiliating death. Now, what, what's going to happen next is the glorification part where he's going to, we're going to see Christ be lifted high and high and high, step up, step up, step up to, to this place of amazing glorification, lifted high. Just, just look at it. Verse nine says this, therefore, or because of, because of his life of humility, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. Do you see those, those three things right there that, that, that he's given the name above every name that is Lord Christ Messiah. He's given the name above every name. That's the first thing we saw. We also saw that every knee is going to bow and thirdly every tongue is going to confess so that that prayer that prayer that Jesus prayed in in the garden in his high priestly prayer to where he he asked the Lord to bestow upon him the the glory and the and the majesty that he had with him before he came down to the earth God the Father answered Jesus's prayer with a thousand yeses yes absolutely and he is restored to his glory to his might to his beauty to his majesty you see in the end listen to this church family in the end everyone will confess the lordship of jesus all the presidents and rulers of the earth bill gates and all the wealthy the poor and the forgotten the drug dealer and the slumlords businessmen tradesmen and stay-at-home moms will confess that jesus 
is Lord. Believers like John Piper and Billy Graham will confess that Jesus is, is Lord. Atheists like Bill Maher and Bertrand Russell will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Here is the question, church family. What will your heart say when you confess that Jesus is Lord on that last day? Will you confess it joyfully, gladly, because his he has become yours and you are his, because you have lived your life as Jesus, as your Lord? When you bow that knee and confess that Jesus is Lord, will it fill your heart with great joy because you're finally getting to see and be with your king? Or, or... Will you confess it woefully, having missed him, having denied him, having rejected, having doubted it, having refused it on your way to what you will be unable to deny is right for you, which is hell. Paul takes Jesus and we see him step him down, down into lowly humility. But then the, 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 the coin is turned over. We see this great step up, step up, step up into glory, into beauty, into majesty, where Jesus is laid low and humbled. And then he is lifted high and glorified. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So why does Paul in the text this way or in this particular section? Verse 11, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is, it is this crescendo because he wants to show us the life that Jesus lived. That life of humility leads to a life of glorification. And if we model our lives after Christ, that is here on this earth, we walk in humility. We put away our self, sense of self-entitlement. We, we walk humbly, others-oriented. That when we do that in this life, in the life to come, we are glorified. That's what he wants us to see, just like Jesus Christ is glorified. Now, you, you might think, well, isn't that kind of counterintuitive? The, the way to live a selfless life is to think about your reward in heaven that you're going to be glorified. Well, you have to understand that when we are glorified in heaven, it's not just for our glory. Look at the end of the section of text to the glory of God, the father, as we live lowly, humble lives here on this earth. And then yet we are glorified at the return of Christ. When we're glorified, then we receive that glory and God is glorified because we are being exalted. Church family, this is the life that we are uh, called to live, this life of, of self-denial, this life of humility. Don't, don't you see, church family, just like we said in the beginning, what we said was true unity, which advances the gospel, is only possible when we drop our sense of entitlement. This is the call today, church family. How, how many of you out there need to repent of self-entitlement? I know I do. True unity, which advances the gospel, is only possible when we drop our sense of self-entitlement and walk in humility, which is modeled after Christ. Did you see that in the text? It's modeled after Christ, leading to his and our glorification. Did you see that in the text, church family? That is the call for us today. The call today is to repent of entitlement, repent of being prideful, and let us together build unity in our church by walking in humility. I'll close with these words uh, from Jesus Christ 
after he had washed the disciples' feet. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, listen to this. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to do what only you can do, uh, which is make us a humble people. Uh, We want to model our life after you. Uh, We want to be a people that are not entitled Uh, We want to be a people that are lowly and humble. We want to be a people that are eager, uh, just just looking for ways to serve other people. Uh, And so we ask you to to do that mighty work in our own hearts. Show us that without you, we are nothing. And so there is no reason for us to walk in pride, to walk in arrogance. But let us be a lowly people. Let us be a humble people. Let us model our lives after you so that though we are humble here in the age to come, we will be glorified with you. This is the song of our heart. Make it so, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.